One of my favorite authors, beyond Max Licato, is a secular author by the name of Robert Fulgham. One of the books that he wrote that I enjoyed so very much is a book entitled, All I Needed to Know About Life I Learned in Kindergarten. And in that book, he uh, part of his thesis is that children teach us important lessons. And one of the lessons that we adults should learn is that the world would be a far better place if every afternoon, in the middle of the afternoon, we would take a break and have milk and cookies and hear a story and lay down and take a nap. <laughs> I agree, don't you? In fact, in Hispanic cultures and other cultures around the world, they have siesta time and nap time, and, and I think that the American culture, because of its horrendously rapid pace that we uh, keep, that we all need to institute a nap time, even if it's just a short power nap. Well, I, I don't have the resources to provide you cookies and milk today, but I do have a wonderful story thanks to my five-year-old friend, an FACer, uh, Jack Gilroy. Jack has provided me this morning with the introduction to, day, to today's message, and every um, uh, child will love this, but I think some adults will love it too. It's entitled, Jonah the Moaner. And you can follow along with the pictures as I tell you the story. Once there was a city full of lies and hate, with great big walls and a great big gate. Its people were rich and mean and strong, but God didn't like it when they did wrong. It was called Nineveh. So God called a man from a faraway land to tell them their city would turn to sand. They had to say sorry in the next 40 days. They had to change their minds and their nasty ways. The man was called Jonah. Jonah had heard about nasty Nineveh, so God's command put him in a spinova. I can't go there because I'll end up dead. I think I'll take a trip to sunny Spain instead. So he went to Tarshish. So he packed his case with a ticket for Tarshish, took a bucket and a spade to look for starfish. But out at sea, a storm began to brew. The captain was scared and his crew were too. They were all wet as well. And where was Jonah? He was snoozing downstairs. Get up, cried the captain, and say your prayers. It's all your fault that this ship's going down. If you don't own up, we're all going to drown. You're right, said Jonah. I'm running away. Throw me off the boat and you'll be okay. So the sailors picked him up. And they threw him in the sea. The waves died down. And they all had tea. Deep in the ocean, it was tea time too. And a really big fish wanted something to chew. With a flick of its tail and a chomp, chomp slurp, it swallowed up Jonah. Chomp, chomp. Burp. Then God said, Jonah the moaner, 
Don't be a groaner. Look where it's got you. All a wet and a loner. <laughs> you can't run away to the starfish and tarshish. Just do what I say double quick. Make it sharpish. Sorry, God, said Jonah. And he wobbled in the belly. I'll do what you want. Get me out and quick. It's smelly. So God sent the fish to a beach real quick. And the really big fish brought up Jonah in his sick. God told Jonah as he hit dry land, Go and tell those nasty ninnies they'll be turned to sand. If they don't change their ways in the next few weeks, there'll be a crashing and a smashing and shouts and shrieks. So Jonah went and told them, and to his surprise, they decided to be good. There were tears in their eyes. The king told Jonah, thanks for bringing this from God. Now go away, please. You really smell of cod. <laughs> so, God forgave the ninnies. I love that word, the ninnies. But it made Jonah mad. He just let them off. And they'd been so bad. It didn't make sense. Jonah just couldn't see. He said, there's something fishy here if you ask me. And God said, Jonah the moaner, don't be a groaner. I'm in charge from here to Arizona. <laughs> I forgive them if they're sorry every day. That's my way. Take it easy. Don't worry. You can have a holiday. Jonah the moaner, your work is through. The starfish in Tarfish, Tarshish are waiting for you. The end. Now, if you'll stand for the benediction. <laughs> when my administrative assistant, Linda Gilroy, uh, told me about this book, I said, Linda, bring it in. I've got I to at least see it. And when I read it, I thought, there's no more fitting way uh, to begin this third in this series of messages on the book of Jonah than with Jack's book, Jonah the Moaner. And we have there, in summary fashion, uh, what has happened so far with Jonah. The popular prophet of God who came from the town of Gath-Hefer, who had been sent east by God to preach to the great capital city of Assyria, to Nineveh. But because Jonah was a reluctant prophet, and because the task that God was giving him was too intimidating, Instead of going east toward Nineveh, uh, Jonah instead went down to Joppa, bought a ticket on a western-bound ship on the Mediterranean that was headed for Tarshish, uh, a Spanish fishing village on the edge of the then-known world. And no sooner had that vessel gotten out of the harbor and out into the Mediterranean Sea that God threw up a storm and hurled that storm at the ship, the ship upon which Jonah and his fellow sailors were aboard. It was the worst storm that professional sailors had ever seen. It was indeed the perfect storm. It was no normal storm, and everyone on board was encouraged to pray to their own God. 
But Jonah, the runaway prophet, was nowhere to be seen. Instead, he was down below deck and he was asleep. The sailors, because they were fearing for their own lives, decided to cast lots. And the lot fell to Jonah. That is, that he was the one that was responsible. They went and awakened him and asked him who he was, where he was from, and what he was doing. He admitted his wrongdoing, admitted that he was running away from God, trying to outmaneuver God because the assignment that God had given him was too big. And even though the sailors were reluctant, at Jonah's request, they threw him overboard into the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah, as he was sinking in the Mediterranean waters, down deep, 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 down, 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 began to pray. His heart began to turn toward God. And as he prayed, crying out to God for mercy, compassionate, loving God, Yahweh, the living God, heard Jonah's prayers from the depths and ordered sovereignly a great fish to come and rescue him and save him and swallow him. Not my idea of uh, a search and rescue mission, but that was God's idea. And there in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights, Jonah lay there entangled in seaweed, with the stomach juices of the great fish beginning to irritate his skin. And in the darkness of that moment of brokenness, Jonah cries out to God and is on his path toward repentance. Again, God hears his prayer and orders the fish to vomit Jonah up on the shore. Probably, historians and biblical scholars tell us that the fish probably threw Jonah up on or near the shore of Joppa, where he had first taken sail. The same place he had caught the ship bound for Tarshish three or four days earlier. In other words, when we pick up the story at the beginning of chapter 3, Jonah is right back, smack dab, in the middle of the place where he had started. Let me pause there for a moment. Think of everything that Jonah has been through thus far. The storm, the three days and the three nights in the belly of the great fish, all that he's been through, all of this could have been avoided. He could have escaped all of this ordeal had he, in the first place when God had spoken, had he obeyed. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? Have you ever had the voice of the Lord speak to you, prompt you, check you in your spirit, whisper in His divine whisper to your soul? You knew it was God's voice. You knew it was the Lord's prompting. You knew it was the Spirit's wooing. But something within you found God's call, God's voice. You found what God was asking you to do too hard, too difficult, inconvenient, the wrong time. Have you ever disobeyed God in some way and then, like Jonah, come to your senses and realized how much time and energy and effort you've wasted in the process of disobeying God? 
I'm sure that when Jonah stood there on the shore at Joppa, having just been vomited out by this great fish, as he stood there unwrapping the seaweed from around his head, he must have been kicking himself over and over again for being so foolish, for not listening to God, for not obeying God, for rebelling against God. And so there he stands on the shore at Joppa. And where we pick the story up in chapter 3 today, we discover that a second time chapter 3 begins, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And look at what the Lord says to Jonah this second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. It's interesting, if you compare the message that God gives to Jonah the second time as compared to the message that God gave to him the first, that the message has not changed. The substance of God's directive to Jonah is the same. You are to go to Nineveh. God said to Jonah the first time, go to Nineveh. Jonah chose to disobey and try to outmaneuver God. But God, this compassionate God that we love and serve, gave Jonah a second chance. And in the second time, he once again speaks to Jonah. The message is the same. Go to Nineveh and preach against that wicked city. It's interesting to me to notice here, and I hope you notice too, that God has not changed his mind. God's commission to Jonah the second time was exactly as it was the first. Now, it seems to me, though we're hard-headed and slow learners, it seems to me that by now, that many of us in this room ought to understand this principle. That if God is not going to change His mind, it seems to me that we ought to be committed to do what He asked us to do the first time. Just think how much trouble and hard circumstances that you and I might be able to avoid if we would first and foremost be always committed to obedience. Here's Jonah, stinking and ugly, but now he had to go, as he had the first time, to Nineveh to preach against this wicked city. His rebellion, his trip to Tarshish, his, his, all of that didn't change the mind of God. It didn't cause God to adjust His plan for Jonah. God's second word to Jonah was the same as it was His first word. Listen to me, friends. Here's what I've learned in the Christian journey thus far. Is that God, when God speaks to you, there may come times in your life when you don't completely understand what God means or what He's saying or, or you don't see see the end result of all of this. I, I liken it to a tapestry that you and I, because of our finite understanding, because the Bible says that on this side of glory, we are looking through a glass darkly. We see all the, the rough edges, the cut-off ends, the tied-off ends, and it has no pattern. It, has no, it makes no sense. It doesn't seem reasonable to us from our finite and human perspective. But I'm telling you that there's coming a day 
when we will no longer look through a glass darkly, but instead we shall see Him face to face. And we will no longer look on the underside of this tapestry that God is weaving in my life and in your life. But on that day, we will be able to see from the upper side the beautiful fabric, the tapestry that He has been weaving over the days and weeks and months and years of our lives. And we will be able to say on that day, I see it now. I understand it now. I see, Lord, what You were trying to do during that period of my life. I didn't understand it then, but now when I look at this eternal perspective, I do see, oh God, what You were up to. But dear friends, I would urge you that until we arrive on that farther shore, I I would urge you to, to just trust God, to know that He knows what is best for you. Even though it it might not make sense, even though it might go against your likes and your preferences, instead of trying to convince God to come over to your side and to do it your way, could we not, would we not be better if from the start, you and I, in an attitude of full surrender, would say to God, God, I'm committed to live my life for Your glory and to do it Your way. And when we do that, the, the fringe benefit of that is that we would miss a lot of the hardship and difficult circumstances that you and I must go through because we rebel and we question God and we, we, we tell Him that He doesn't know what He's doing, but instead He really does know what He's doing. See, Jonah's wishes, his preferences, his likes, and his dislikes didn't change the mind of God at all. But as you read on in the third chapter of Jonah, you discover a very beautiful thing, and it is this, that that the beauty of Jonah chapter 3 is that Jonah gets a second chance. That's the title of today's message. Getting a second chance to get it right. Jonah gets a second chance. And instead of dying in the stomach of that fish, Jonah... By the gracious working of God, Jonah gets a return trip back into the center of God's will. What a wonderful thing. But I want to impress upon you this morning that that opportunity for a second chance does not belong to Jonah alone. That opportunity for a second chance belongs to you and me. Verse 3 tells us that Jonah this time obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Second time, God speaks. This time, Jonah obeys. For the first time in this whole drama, Jonah begins to act in obedience. He finally gets it, doesn't he? I think that we ought to stand and give Jonah a round of applause for finally waking up. Finally, he gets things right. Up till now, everything has been mixed up and he's been walking in disobedience. He's been running and hiding and trying to outmaneuver God. But after all the ups and downs, Jonah finally, finally, finally he obeys. And God graciously gives Jonah a second chance to get it right. And it seems to me that that's one of the great principles that we learn in chapter 3 in this unfolding story, this saga of Jonah. And it's an important principle. It is simply this, that we serve a God because He is compassionate, because He is 
slow to anger, abounding in mercy and steadfast love, we serve a God who loves to give second chance. Aren't you glad? Could I hear somebody say amen? We may not get back the time that we waste in our sin and disobedience. We may have to pay some consequences and walk a bumpy road on a return trip back to the center of God's will. But by God's grace, I announce to you good news. When we repent of our sin and when we yield our heart and our life over to God, that God graciously grants you and me a chance to start over again. And that's good news for us all. Who among us here this morning hasn't wished at one time or another that we could have another shot to do it over again? Kathy and I have been talking lately about uh, uh, the parenting task in our life. Our three kids are now in their late 20s. They are grown adults and and they are finding themselves and discovering God's plan and purpose for their lives and, and finding mates and, and all the things that, that, that life brings, the good things that life brings. But I have to be honest with you, as Kathy and I have talked about our parenting task and we look back over the years of our stewarding responsibility as trustees over these three precious kids, that there are things that we wish that we could do over again. There are some things that we would do differently. There are some, some ways in which we would parent in a different style than when we did it the first time. Perhaps there's some of you here this morning that are, that are wishing that you could have a do-over in the area of your finances. You've made some really reckless decisions. You've used credit and you've, you're, you're maxed out on your credit and the collectors are hounding you and the interest rates are going up and you can't, don't even have enough resources to make the minimum payment. payment. You made some horrible decisions in your younger life and, and now you're paying the consequences of that and you're wishing that, oh, I wish I could do that over. I'd do that differently. Perhaps you're, you're wishing that you could do it differently in the area of your married life, that you've been married now for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, and, and all of a sudden you're realizing, wow, I wish I would have done that differently in the early years of our married life together, how different our life would be. I want to tell you that one of the great, great things about the grace of Jesus Christ is that we have an opportunity for a brand new start. One of my favorite bits of prose is from a poem called The Land of Begin Again by Louisa Tarkington. And in it she says this, I wish that there were some wonderful place called The Land of Begin Again where all our mistakes And all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Jonah's experience reminds us that there is such a place. When we humbly repent of our sin, admit and acknowledge our rebellion, and express a desire to God that He begin to lead our life, God graciously, because He is a God who is slow to anger, who is steadfast in love, He always gives you a second chance. And you see that repeatedly throughout the Bible, that the God of the Bible 
was doing this for people all throughout Scripture. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Jacob. He did it for Moses. He did it for King David. He did it for his disciple Peter. Even though he denied him three times, Jesus gave him a chance to do it again. Each of those men had failed in some great way. But they repented and they asked God for another shot. And God graciously granted it to them. And that is, my friends, because we serve a God of the second chance. God wants to. He longs to. He desires to forgive you and to help you start anew. John Ortberg, pastor of Menlo Presbyterian Church in California, says this, If there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in His loving longing to forgive. Friends, if this message could just soak in and you could embrace it in your heart this morning, that our God is longing to forgive you of your past. Oh, you say, but Rick, you, you don't know where I've been. You, you don't know what I've done. You, you don't know the trail of broken relationships that I've left behind me. I don't care. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, how horrible the sin or rebellion or disobedience is. Our God is big enough. His grace will cover that and He will give you a brand new start and you will experience becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus so that old things are passed away and behold, all things will become new. This is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's why God sent His only Son to die for us. To provide a place, a land of begin again. A place where we could do it over. A place where we could get a fresh new start. And so when you see the folly of your sin and your disobedience, and you yearn for forgiveness and a second chance, I urge you, yield to that yearning, because there is a place where you can have a brand new start. I met with a young couple this week. I I had not met them. They've been coming to our church for several months. They're planning on being baptized in the middle of November. I'm not going to steal their story because they'll share it in their testimony on November the 22nd, Lord willing. But as I sat there and listened to their horrible story of being raised in a broken home, of being racked by addiction in their own life, of being troubled in their marriage to the point that their marriage was about broken up, and then they began to tell me how God had been speaking to them in their heart and and how they wanted to start over again in their marriage and their life and find freedom from their addiction and find new life in Jesus Christ and how they opened their heart and life to Jesus Christ, they are changed individuals. And He's sitting right over there. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Twenty-two years old. His life was headed fast for nowhere. But God, in His mercy and grace, found him and has saved him and is working off all the rough edges. Right, Brian? And he's doing a great work in his life. Brian believed that there was a place to start over again. And the grace of God was big enough. Do you? Do you really? Are you willing to trust God? And say, God, I I, I embrace this love and forgiveness that you're bringing. 
Listen to me, none of us would be where we are in our Christian lives, me included. None of us would be where we are if God had not dealt with us so graciously and compassionately. Amen. He He's given me so many opportunities, gracious opportunities. And I just, the older I get as a Christian, I celebrate the amazing grace of God. It is so wonderful. The unmerited favor of God that's been displayed in my life alone, yet not to even mention what's happened in yours. The grace of God is big enough. Well, we continue hurriedly with the story in the middle of verse 3. Nineveh was an important city. Jonah went there. On the first day, he started into the city. The city was so large, so great, so immense, so vast, that it took him three days to get through the city. Forty more days. This is what the Lord had told him to proclaim as he trudged the streets. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty more days and Nineveh will be returned. Let's count the words. Eight words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. How would you like a sermon of eight words? Don't you dare say amen. In the English Bible, it's eight words. In the Hebrew Bible, it's shorter still. It's only five words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's all Jonah said as he went through the streets of Nineveh. Day after day after day. For three days, he went around the streets of this great, immense capital city and he cried out the word of the Lord to all who would listen. Forty more days and your doom is sure. Forty more days and you will be overturned. Forty more days, and as Jonah the moaner said, you will be sand. He begins to proclaim this message that God had given him. Not a very impressive message. Only eight words, five in the Hebrew. But they're packed with power. It was the word of the Lord. I'm reminded as a preacher, as one who declares the word of the Lord week after week after week, that it's really not my opinion that matters. It's God's opinion. It's not the message that I work on all week long, but it's God laying a message on my heart. And if I don't have a word from the Lord to share with you, then our time, all our time, is merely a waste here. But we're told that from this simple sermon that God gave to Jonah, that one of the greatest revivals in all of human history took place. There is no revival, either in the Bible or in the days since, the days of Jonah, that can compare, that can even hold a candle to the greatness of this spiritual revival. It makes what happened on the day of Pentecost, when in one day 3,000 people turned their lives over to Jesus Christ, what happened in Nineveh as a result of Jonah preaching the Word, this message that God had laid on his heart, it makes Pentecost look small. Because not just a few thousand turned to God, but as Jonah went forth preaching this Word of the Lord, Hundreds of thousands of people came to to faith. All because a man named Jonah agreed and obeyed and allowed God to speak through him. And we don't have time to read down through verses 5 through 10, but you can see what happened. God shook that evil city from the king's chamber to the sheep pen. Word got to the the king about all of this and Jonah's message that 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And so the king gave an order and he said, I want everybody in this kingdom to put on sackcloth and sit in ashes. 
It was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of humility. Sackcloth, if you don't know, was nothing more than a goat hair shirt. It would have been very itchy and uncomfortable and would remind you of how uncomfortable sin is and the need for repentance. And not only human beings were to put on sackcloth, but every living creature, everything that moved, that's the decree that the king gave, everything that moved was to put on sackcloth. It was a sign of widespread repentance, a great revival. And the Scripture tells us that the Ninevites believed on God. The city that God had promised to destroy, the city that was filled with wickedness and violence and promiscuity and unrighteousness and atheism and pride, this city that God had threatened to destroy was now sitting in sackcloth and ashes, humble to the core and appealing to the living God for mercy. And here was an example of old things passing away and a new regime coming. And as a result, at, according to verse 10 here at the end of chapter 3, we learn that God relented. God turned away from his anger. And the city of Nineveh was spared. This is a marvelous story. The book of Jonah is not a great tragedy that ends with a no way it's not possible, but instead it's a great comedy where joy and laughter and new life win the day. When Jonah was, was down in the depths of the sea, God delivered him and brought him to life. When Nineveh was about to be destroyed, this compassionate, loving God delivers Nineveh from the depths of their sin. You see, I'm wondering, is there anybody in your circle of influence that you've been praying for that they would come to faith in Christ, and yet in your heart of hearts you, you wonder, could they ever be saved? Do you really believe that God could save them? You see, I think there are some of us who, who say with our lips that with, all, with God all things are possible, but we really don't believe it in our hearts. But here's a wonderful story that gives us courage as we pray for those who are outside the fold of God to remind us that there is no pagan so paganish. There is no one that's so deep in sin that cannot be rescued by the love and compassion of God in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you think, I'm way too far gone, Rick. There's no way that God could save me. He saved Nineveh. He saved disobedient Jonah. He can save you too. Under Jonah's preaching, Nineveh experienced one of the greatest revivals in all of history. Now granted, if you read on in Jewish history, you'll quickly discover that something changed along the line. And you'll discover that later in the Minor Prophets, specifically in the book of Nahum, you will discover that somewhere the, the citizens of Nineveh rejected this and they turned back to their old wicked ways and Nineveh was once again this wicked city. And Nahum was now appointed by God to go and preach to Nineveh as Jonah had done earlier and warn them of impending judgment. Somewhere along the line, their hearts turned back to wickedness and morality. Only a few years later, the Spirit of God would come upon Nahum and he would come and say these words, 
woe to Nineveh. And Nahum's warning to Nineveh, I believe, is a word of warning to America today. I believe that with all of my heart, if if as a nation we fail to repent and humble ourselves and put on either literally or symbolically sackcloth and ashes and, and repent of our national sins, that the judgment of this living God is going to come upon this nation. And in many ways, I think it already is. If we fail to repent, this nation will crumble under the weight of the, the unsolvable problems that we are currently facing. Our jails are overflowing, re- resulting in the release, the early release of many criminals who are now back out on the street. We're now building prison barges in an, in an attempt to cope with the overcrowding of our prison institutions. Our penal institutions are and have become horror houses of rape, of violence, and a spirit of hopelessness. And you talk to anybody who works in the penal institutions of this nation, and they will tell you that there are no solutions, there are no cures in sight. Our courts cannot handle the caseloads that they're, they're facing these days. Judge after judge has issued warnings saying that this nation is on the brink of anarchy, that there's no way that we can adequately process the numbers and the multitudes of criminals that are on the court dockets. Our schools in this nation are the shame of the world. Many of our schools have become a miniature hell where your kids face Monday through Friday guns, knives, drugs, violence, promiscuous sex, and most of the teachers are afraid for their own lives. Our welfare system is in total chaos. The costs for taking care of the poor and needy are spinning out of control. Our economy is crumbling. We know that firsthand here in Erie. And as far as I can see, nobody in the top levels of government have any answers. Be it the White House, or the two houses of Congress, or Wall Street, or the Federal Reserve, No one has an answer to what's happening in our economy. It is beyond us all. And no one seems to know what is holding the system together. And yet, in the face of these dismal conditions, our compassionate God, by His Holy Spirit, is still calling to people, won't you come home to me? Our compassionate God, in the midst of this troubled economy, is is ready to show His mercy. He is willing to relent if we would repent. But we've grown fat in our prosperity. And we've forsaken the Lord even more. 
and the foundations of this nation are being destroyed day, week, month, year after year. One would think that perhaps in the midst of a broken economy, that this nation would repent and that we would wake up. One would think that because of the panic and fear that that many are feeling with having lost their jobs or lost their homes, that we would return to God. And I want to tell you, friends, God isn't trying to destroy America. I believe with all of my heart that God is graciously trying to save America. And I believe He's also trying to get His church. That's you and me, bud. He's trying to get His church back on point in our mission to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. His desire, God's desire, is that in these desperate times that we're in, that individuals and families would repent and would turn back to Him. God's desires is that ministers of the gospel like me and others and missionaries around the world would stop their foolish preaching and stop arguing over things that are clearly extra-biblical. Churches and denominations and synods and presbyteries stop bickering about whether it is right or not to ordain a homosexual or a gay priest. What does the Word of the Lord say? God is wanting the ministers of His Gospel to stop this foolishness and that whole communities of faithful people like you and me would come alive and that we would be empowered by the Spirit of God and that we would take this timeless truth of God's Word to a world that it is needing to hear it. And if we would, God would relent and people would find Christ and they'd find the solution to the problems that we're facing. I believe that God is calling together a praying remnant that needs to emerge from His church. We give lip service to prayer. We here at First Alliance say prayer is the first work, and and 13 people show up to prayer meeting. We say we believe in the power of prayer, but only a few actually engage in it. God is looking for a remnant to rise up within His church to embrace the Bible, His Word, and go into the world and preach the Word with true authority. And the storm that America is in and the storm that this globe is in is meant to teach us and call us to repentance. So don't give in to despair. Even though it may seem that this old world is spinning completely out of control, I believe that God, because He's a compassionate and loving God, is in the process of wanting to save us. And He's using even the chaos of world events to lead us back to Himself. Why do I feel this way? Because He is a compassionate God, one who is faithful to save, and He is the God of a second chance. And that's what the book of Jonah reminds us of. That that's what Jesus was all about. That Jesus can reach the unreachable. Jesus can reach the the most pagan of them all. Jesus can reach you. Jesus can reach the one in your family. So I would say to you today, if you're walking in disobedience, Run to Him now. Don't run away. Stop. Stop running. 
Stop outmaneuvering God. Stop. And start running toward Him. Because He's the God of mercy and grace. Repent and pour out your soul to Him. He's a loving God who wants to restore you. And not only you. But if the church would rise up in prayer. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will what? forgive their sin and heal their land. Church, isn't that what we want to see happen? But we're so guilty of arguing and debating debatable issues. What color will the carpeting be? Are we serving chicken salad or tuna salad? That prayer was much too long, Steve. Much too long. It's what came to mind. It was spirit-inspired. <laughs> but we're playing tiddlywinks while the world is going to hell. And we're just thinking about where are we going for lunch today? It's time, church, to rise up. And let there be a revival of repentance. And let there be a revival of prayer. And let there be a revival of, of people, the people of God, following hard after God and not seeing how much we can get away with but being dedicated to obedience and following the Lord as closely as we possibly can. Just think what might happen. Revival might break out in this church. Just think of it. Wouldn't that be exciting? And that revival might spread to this city. And I might be out of a job in three months. And that revival might spread onto the commonwealth and and Governor Rendell might be able to solve our budget problems. And that revival might spread to our 50 states and President Obama won't have to worry about a health care reform plan any longer. And that revival could spread around the world to places like Uruguay and Moscow and other places and might put Stephen Christie and Tom and Tina out of a job. Just think what might happen if we would just simply trust and obey. Would you stand and let's pray. Take a moment and let this message sink in this morning. You've been very patient and I appreciate your time and attention. But I would be remiss to not give an opportunity for someone in this room to respond. I don't know how this message has struck you today. Only the Spirit knows what He's been speaking to each of your hearts. There may be some individuals in this room that are walking, maybe running in disobedience away from God, and need to stop in their tracks and now run back toward God. Perhaps you think that you're too far gone, your problems are too big, that you're unforgivable, that God's grace is not big enough for you. I'm here to tell you it is. And perhaps today 
before you go and have lunch, you should first take a step toward this place of prayer and stand here or kneel here and say, God, I'm going to stop saying no to you and I'm going to start saying yes to you. I'm going to stop running away from you and I'm going to start running toward you. I'm going to start following your lead. I'm committed to obedience. Maybe that's how the message has struck you today. Or perhaps uh, the message has struck you today and you realize that you're part of the church, you're part of this sleeping giant, and, and that you've gotten a bit apathetic, and, and that you really have not uh, really exercised your prayer muscles very much lately, and, and that God is calling you to be a part of that praying remnant to pray for our community and our, our state and our nation and our world. And God is saying, I want you to step up. I want you to be counted. I want you to be a part of this, this band of faithful followers. And so maybe you step out today from where you're standing and you come here in the front and stand and say, Lord, I'm going to be a part of that, that army of loyal followers of yours. Perhaps you're looking for a chance to do over in your marriage. You think that your marriage is just about on the brink of separation or divorce and you don't feel like there's much left. I want to encourage you and your spouse to step out from where you are today Surrender your marriage to the Lord. Perhaps you're here today as a parent and you're feeling like you've really made some huge mistakes in parenting your children and your kids are paying the price and the consequence for it. And you want a chance to begin again. I urge you to step out this morning. So we're just going to take a minute. Before we say our final prayer, if God is speaking to you, you step out. No matter what the need is, whether it's for you or someone else, you step out and go on record today. People are coming. Will you come too?